You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. Chasers of light, to the purveyors of pictures, to all of you listening from around the world, this is the F11 Photography Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Deal, and joining me once again in studio, your other host, Mr. Brandon Gorey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the F11 Photography Podcast. It is good to be here. Today, we've got some interesting topics to talk about. I'm not going to disclose them. That's Kevin's job, but it's good to be back in studio. Yes, it is great to be back in studio. Uh, I am about to fire up our... Hold on. I got to get my phone. I'm about to fire up... I'm about to fire up our light that was given to us by GVM. Oh, wow. So... It is at uh, 27% right now. It's a 300-watt second light. There we go. So now Brandon's skull is cooked. I kind of like that on just as like an ambient light. Like, it's kind of nice. Do you want me to go tungsten on it? So I, so check yeah. it. You can go over here and it's like, let's do a tungsten vibe. All right. It's very I tungsten. Actually, I in the really room. like that. Are you huh? cool with having that? Because I feel like I'm in like Blade Runner right now. I, nice. I, feel like, I feel like instead of having tungsten rolling, we should do the effects Let's do, let's do lightning the whole time. You hit play, and we'll just have a lightning storm the entire time we do a pod. Or do you want to keep it at tungsten? You know, I'm not epileptic, but uh, I think we should change it back to tungsten. I really like the warmth. I but really I'm, do. But what about welding? Don't you think welding would be kind of cool? It'd be like there's somebody over there like making uh, metal art and welding the room somehow. I, I tell you, it's really interesting. I'm watching the light bounce off the white walls and it's a very, it's it's a crazy bluish white, the welding uh, effect. It's that's really because, cool. That's because uh, if you ever take a look at the, uh, if you ever take a look at welding, it's blue light. So yeah, yeah thank you for that. I obviously, yeah, but I'm just light, over here. The light recreates it really well. I'm over here doing the good Lord's work of uh, talking about color temperature. So uh, we're going to talk about plenty today. First, I want to talk about the fact that, you know, we're about 10 months into this podcast and we've had, we've talked a big game about being on YouTube. Uh, we initially put our episodes on YouTube as just audio episodes and then you see, you know, pictures of us in the background or whatever. Um, you know, and it just, it's kind of lame. So I abandoned, after like three or four episodes, I abandoned the idea of having us on YouTube. Um, but we do have the channel. And it's F11, you know, pod. F11 pod is our YouTube channel. And I, I shelved it with the idea that we would come back at a later date. And we would eventually start not live streaming, although that's what we're about to discuss right now. I'm of the opinion that we should not live stream because... You know, we don't record the pod at a cons consistent time of day. 
on a consistent day of the week. I mean, it's usually a weekend, but sometimes it's in the morning. Sometimes we record a pod at 1 p.m. It's what our schedules will allow. So I don't think live streaming is the answer for this pod, but perhaps we will video record the pods and capture them. Uh, you know, I'm not going to like do anything crazy where I'm going to record it and log. I'm going to probably just use my Fuji camera and record it with the film simulation on. So it looks pretty good. All I got to do is get a single room balance, which is the room that we're in. And once I get the, the color grading correct at the camera there, you know, it'll look fine. And so that's kind of what I'm thinking we'll do is we'll capture it. Uh, I don't remember. I don't know. Maybe we'll use DaVinci Resolve. I don't know what capturing program. That's what we're going to discuss right now, Brandon. So I want to do video uh, versions of the podcast because I tend to watch uh, Joe Rogan's pod on YouTube. Like just after the fact, I'll just be sitting there working on editing and I'll like put his, one of his podcasts up on the second screen. If I don't need the second screen, you know, have Hulk Hogan on or whoever the fuck he has on or some weird conspiracy theorist. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I personally think that's cool doing the video thing. What are your thoughts? Well, I want to know, first and foremost, what are you looking forward to the most when it comes to the the video aspect? Because I will say there are a lot of topics that we're limited to discussing on the podcast when we don't have video because we can't show you color. We can't show you light. We can't show you examples. All we can do is provide links and references to what we're talking about. Yeah, I agree. Uh, a lot of times we'll have a guest in the studio and we'll be talking about their work because that's what makes a guest more interesting. It's like, why are you in the studio in the first place? Because of your work. Then we should probably talk about your work. And so that's exactly what we do is we talk about their work and you know they'll reference a specific picture and you have no way to follow along at home unless you pull out your phone and you go to the link section of the description of the podcast. So yeah, I think that that is probably the way we'll go. And also sometimes I'll just be talking about something that I want to talk about and I've done it in my own work, an example of it. And I can just quickly pull up my Instagram, go to my HDMI switcher, switch it over to my laptop. And you can see something on my Instagram that is uh, supporting what I'm talking about. Maybe Brandon and I are having an argument and we're butting heads and we're trying to prove each other wrong and we'll fight over the HDMI switcher and uh, we'll go, well, on my laptop, it says this. And on your laptop, it says that I'm right. You're wrong. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah, we're going to have to start editing stuff out because you're going to start seeing Brandon tears coming down his face. Yes, yes, that'd be great. So I think that's what we'll do. Uh, I already went ahead and bought a Blackmagic Design ATEM Pro Mini. So we do have that in place. Um, we've got all the HDMI cables. I think the the big question is, is right now, so for those of you who've never seen the inside of this podcast studio, which is pretty much all of you, the room is not large. It's like six and a half feet wide by about 12 feet deep. So it's a, it's a small rectangle. It's like two closets basically at most. And right now we're kind of on one of the long sides. I'm, I'm kind of thinking that we may do kind of a between two ferns vibe where we have like a table and our laptops up and, you know, our cups of coffee. We'll probably keep the mannequin in the middle as a mascot. And then we'll have our, our, our chair on either side of the mannequin. It'll be great. And we can start decorating the mannequin and putting her in, because uh, she's got 
tits, so it's a her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we could we could put like uh, a wig on her or something, and then we could start putting Joker makeup on her face or something. Well, it'll be like a recurring theme. We'll start. We'll slowly start developing the mannequin over the episodes, and this will be a permanent set. What do you think? Anything to make us look better, Kevin? Because I know if we're going to re- be recording in the mornings, uh, we're going to be tired. We're going to be just waking up with the coffee. I might be speaking for myself here, but anything to make us look better, I think we could add to that mannequin. The mannequin's um, freaky looking, but, and but, so yeah, we do won't... you guys know that mannequin is covered in duct tape right now, so it's it it almost looks human. Almost, yeah. It looks it looks more like uh, I don't know the Tin Man as, on we, the, on as we both look over to from it right from now. the shoulders up. See, that's exactly it. We can we can. I feel like adding another dimension will work, and you know we'll try not to. Like the good news is, is if you are just listening to the pod on Spotify or Apple, you can still enjoy it. But for those of you who want a little more, we'll have video. And, you know, really, how hard is it for me to set up lights? I already have the lights set up. How hard is it for me to hit uh, record? Not hard at all. And, you know, perhaps we can get it to where I'll have to figure out the audio and how I want to do the audio. Because I think what I may want to do is, you know, we have to go through the Rode Podcaster, which is what we use to record our podcast first. But the Rode Podcaster does have headphone outs. It does have uh, auxiliary outs and stuff like that. So what we may do is we may get like a dual TRS to uh, eighth inch cable and plug that in to the uh, plug that into the ATM mini pro our video switcher, which also encodes and carries audio, which is great. Um, But I got to figure out a couple other things because, uh, one cool thing about the ATM Mini is it has a network port in it. So if I go spend thirty bucks on a, a switch, I can have the switch uh, plugged into my computer, and then I can just control everything from my iPad. So I can change all everything. I can switch it over. I don't even have to have the switcher up with us because I want to try to keep the switcher close to the the recording to the pot, you know, and that's that. Well, that's another thing I got to figure out though is because logistically, if I don't have the road. A podcaster at my fingers, I can't trigger the sounds. So what Kevin's trying to say, everyone, is that he misses DJing and he wants to DJ in front of all you guys. He wants to touch a lot of buttons. He wants to see a lot of light up things and switchers and faders, and he wants to do it live so that you can all see him doing it. Tell me I'm wrong. Today's sponsor is Cheetah Stand. I had lunch with Cheetah Stand uh, last week. I was hanging out with David. They've got some really cool, exciting stuff coming down the pipeline. If you're not familiar with Cheetah Stand, you should be. Yes, the name Cheetah Stand, uh, it implies that they sell stands, and they do sell stands. My favorite stands in the world are their C-Series stands. And this is one of the cool things about if we were on video, I could show you how cool the stand is because there's one right next to me, but... We're on a podcast, so you can't see it. But the cool thing about the Cheetah Stand C-Series stands is that they come in three different sizes. A C8, which goes up to 8 feet. A C10, which goes up to 10 feet. And a C12, you guessed it, goes up to 12 feet. And that's the one that I have. What's cool about these stands is that when you pick them up, the legs automatically collapse. And then when you put them down, the legs automatically expand. And so... If you don't like to use those lugs, uh, you know, where you have to tighten them and loosen them and then, you know, things fall on your fingers or whatnot, you don't have to worry about that with these. You just pick it up, you move it to your next spot and you put it down. So 
if you're listening to this pod and you're a wedding photographer or you do run and gun type stuff, the C8 is perfect for you. You should get that. You should put your less than five pound light on there with a modifier and just go do your thing, whether that's a detached speed light or something like a Godox 8100, you're good to go. And then for those of you who use stuff like Profoto B1Xs or Profoto B1s or Godox 8600s, that's what the C12 is for. And to a lesser extent, the C10 if you're in a more controlled environment. Uh, but that's not all that Cheetah Stand does. They make modifiers. They make a parabolic reflector. They make softboxes. They make magnum reflectors. And they're excited to announce they are also now Godox dealers. And... I've been in forums for years. I'm both a Godox and a Profoto user. And for years, Godox had this reputation of, oh, don't buy Godox, buy Flashpoint. And the reason why you want to buy Flashpoint is because it's Adorama's store brand. And it, all it is is a rebranded Godox light. But because you're buying it from Adorama in New York City, you get the warranty and all that. Well, the big uh, the big problem with Godox, of course, is that uh, it was all, all from China. And so you have an 8600 BM, it falls, it breaks, you want to get it serviced. You had no options. You were pretty much screwed and you had to kind of throw it away and you were done. That's no longer the case. So Cheetah Stand is located in Dallas, Texas. They're centrally located in the United States. They are not only Godox dealers, but they are a certified Godox repair center. So if you're a Godox owner, Put Cheetah Stand on your radar. And also, if any of the stuff I talked to you about, the C-Series stuff, their uh, their parabolic reflector, their softboxes, or the Godox lights sound appealing to you, I do have a link in the description of this podcast where you can check it out. And uh, not only are they a sponsor of this pod, but they are a listener of this pod. Speaking of this pod, we are going to be talking about today's subject, which is the responsibility of a photographer when on a set, okay? And this is uh, near and dear to Brandon's heart. It's a subject he brought to today's episode. So I'm going to have him start driving the ship, and I'm going to chime in for once as the person who responds. You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. Hi, guys. It's your captain here, Brandon Gorey. Uh, welcome aboard. So... I thought today's subject was something that is very pertinent because I was watching an episode or I was watching a YouTube video the other day and I can't, I, I honestly forgot who it was because I think I was falling asleep to it. I just had it on. And the photographer was saying like in today's age, it's a photographer's job to do a lot of things. Um, when promoting your brand and promoting yourself as a photographer and um, garnering clients and, and getting the attention you want and working with people, we have a lot on our plate. And so I, I thought like, okay, maybe it's a good idea to have an episode elucidating what exactly is a photographer's job. And so I also want to state that a lot of times or a lot of things can change within the role of a photographer, depending on whether you have a creative director on, depending on whether or not it was your idea or who put the idea forward first. I'm simply speaking in generalities when you're working with people, whether, whether those be clients, model agencies or brands. Um, a lot of the times they're going to be getting in touch with you because they want your vision, they want your style, they want your aesthetic, and they want what you have to offer. And what you have to offer is usually quite a lot. So first and foremost, it's our job to organize the, the endeavor. It's our job to organize the shoot itself and to put forward the concept. 
Now, that's a lot of responsibility because in that way, we don't only act as photographers. We're not just the guy uh, setting up the lights and taking the photos. We have to be the guy who sees the vision. We have to guy who sees something that other people um, aren't seeing and to bring that to life. We have to execute upon it. Um, Now, some people, you know, you might be asking yourself, uh, isn't that the job of a creative director? And I'd say, a lot of people working with creative directors are going to be a little bit higher up. They're going to be doing a lot of commercial style shoots. They're going to be doing a lot of shoots where you're not the one putting forward every idea. You're going to be the one that they want to execute upon it and to edit upon it and that sort of thing. But if you're the only guy and you're not working with a creative director, you're going to be putting the idea together because guess what? You know the light, you know the white balance, you know the colors and the textures of the shoot, you know what you want out of the shoot, you know the focal length of the lenses you're going to be using, you know the depth of field you're going to be anticipating, whether you want the fall off to stop right behind the eyes or you want the fall off to stop at infinity, that is an artistic choice that you will be going into the shoot knowing. You're going to be knowing the blur. You're going to be knowing whether or not you're going to be shooting the blur at one-eighth of a second, one-fourth, or one-second with a rear sync uh, uh, flash. You, you're going to know the exposure and the angle of the shoot. And so it's for those kind of key reasons that you're going to be going into the shoot and you need to be handling a lot of things, whether that be like scheduling and and who the model is, what the lighting setup it is, and like so on and so forth. If I'm following you correctly, what you're saying is you're not necessarily the one who has to come up with the idea but you are the one who has to execute the idea. Is that what you're saying? It's it's kind of it's kind of both. I I'd, I'd argue that a lot of times, um, maybe you share this experience, Kevin. But um, do a lot of people ask you um, what you have in mind, what your concept is that they can work upon? So something that happens to me a lot with brands, brands tend to have a bit of a an idea of their concept. Sometimes it'll be very well thought out. So I'm shooting for an apparel brand, uh, which is an upcoming project I'm doing. It's pretty interesting. They want they they do sports apparel, but they want it shot in a very high fashion editorial style on purpose, like the opposite of, hey, I want everything to be white and I want everything to be shot at F11 so all the materials look amazing. They want it to look like a fucking Duar campaign and it's like jujitsu fucking like apparel. That's what they want. They specifically sought me out for that and had this really awesome concept. But to your question, more often than not, especially when a model slides in my DMs, it's like, I want to work with you. Do you have any concepts uh, you could use me for? You know? And I'm like, what? Like, I don't even know who the fuck you are. And, And so like, like as I've talked about in this pod on the, in the past, which is A lot of times, oftentimes when I work with somebody for the first time, especially a model who wants to work with me and have a continuing artistic relationship with me, a lot of times I'm like, hey, how about for our first shoot, we just go out into the streets, shoot some black and white, and I get to see how you you learn how you shoot. And then from there, I can kind of figure out what concepts I want to use you for in the future. Sometimes I look at somebody and immediately go, I want to use them for this specific thing. I know, I know for a fact, but oftentimes I'm like, you're sliding into my DMs asking to work with me. No, I don't just sit around and go, well, let, let me put uh, 20 concepts together 
that I'm going to put in reserve just in case someone slides into my DMs to want to work with me. And then when I'm put on the spot, I'm like, oh yeah, you're perfect for this one. That's not, that's not how I work. That's exactly it, right? It's like being put on the spot. So like, here's the thing as a photographer, we kind of just talked about some of the responsibilities and how it's both logistical and creative. Um, a lot of the time, those two things don't mesh very well at the same time. So it's like when someone asks you, what's your concept? And for the record, I do have a lot of concepts like on the back burner that I'm waiting for the model to come along or I see them and I'm just like, oh, cool, I can now deploy this thing. But in general, when someone asks me, like, do I have a concept? You know, to me, that translates as one, do you want to shoot? And and like two, like, uh, you know, when do you want to shoot? And like they're asking more than do you have a concept? They're basically just saying like, you know. Like, I want something from you. I want to be a part of your visualization. And you can take that how you want to. But more so is they're asking for both a creative bandwidth and a logistical bandwidth. So you have to be the author both of the the abstract and how you want the colors to mesh and how you want the, the artistic expression to come along and tie it to their personal you know, character, because not every concept can work with every model. They have a limit of, of executable range. Okay. So that's like, that's a whole creative abstract part of your mind. And then you have to flip the switch and go to the logistical part. Like, okay, what focal length am I going to be using? Where is this going to be shot? You know, okay, we're heading into fall. The sun's not going to be available much after 5, 6 p.m. So I got to crunch that out at, you know, at different locations. The sun's going to be setting in different areas. Like it's, it is very much, it's, it's a dance and you're responsible for that a lot of the time. Well, and another thing that I want to talk about that's related to this and kind of related to the model sliding to the DMs and asking you if you have concepts and you being put on the spot. Another thing that I get put on the spot about a lot and I'm super vague intentionally on is what is your hourly rate? How much is this going to cost? Like when a brand approaches me with uh, an idea, it's like I have to get back to you because there's a bunch of logistical stuff. Brandon was talking about logistical stuff. I have to sit down and go, okay, is this a location shoot or a studio shoot? Okay, if it's a studio shoot, how many hours is it going to take me? And then they also ask me like what my hourly rate is. So first and foremost, and we've, I've talked about it several times on this pod, I don't have an hourly rate. I have a half-day rate and I have a full-day rate because if I get something done fast, it's because of my years of experience. And yeah, I, I charge you more because I'm more experienced. If I fuck up, and it takes me longer than it needs to, you shouldn't be on the clock for that. So I figure out, is this going to take me a half day or a full day? I charge a half or a full day rate. But then there's other logistical stuff like, oh, they have this really crazy concept and maybe I only own two lights and, and they need six lights. Do I need to go to a local camera shop and rent lights? Okay, well, I need to put that as a billable item for rental. I need to go look up uh, rental prices and all that. Do I need an assistant? Sometimes I have uh, commercial jobs where, you know, oh, we're doing like corporate headshots and we need to do headshots for like 100 people or something like that. Yeah, I need an assistant on something like that usually because that's a lot of work. You know, I need, I, if nothing else, I need the assistant like, uh, having people congregate in certain areas, keeping them organized, keeping them, you know, cause, cause you know, work environments, people go do water cooler chat and they walk off, they go take a smoke break, whatever, whatever it is, they're looking at their phones. They're not paying attention to the, Hey, it's your turn next. And then your day starts getting derailed. You start getting behind. And so, yeah, an assistant costs money. Do I need an assistant? You know, things like that. And so that's the responsibility is the pre-planning and organization. And people, you know, will get somebody who drops into their DMs a brand or whatever and they're like, how much does it cost to shoot this? If you respond within a few minutes, you didn't do your homework because you didn't ask the right questions. Uh, you didn't 
you know, see if maybe we need to have a pre-production meeting. So for this apparel brand I was just telling you about, we've already had one meeting where we met and had coffee, actually lunch. And uh, we may have to have a second meeting before our shoot later this month because there's a lot of logistical stuff to go over. Um, now, I finally arrived at my pricing for them and they've actually booked me for a second date because we've realized that it's going to take two days. So I'm charging them. Uh, I took my full day rate and I split it up over two days. I'm charging them two half day rates. So uh, all this stuff you got to figure out. And uh, this also comes back to, you know, the organization and the concept and all that. But, uh, you know, it, it, to, to the question you asked earlier, yeah, more often than not, the, the the weight is put on our shoulders to come up with the concept. You know, they might have a vague like, hey, here's because like, for instance, I've have clients who will just give me like a mood board and nothing is cohesive about the mood board. It's like uh, shot one is like a really flat matte look of black and white, almost film like shot two looks like a target commercial shot three is somebody running in the streets. And it's just like. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. I don't know how I'm supposed to put it together. And of course, that's always why I, I, I talk about this in this episode, which is I, I cheat and I go, go find my work and go pick up five shots that I've done that are in the style you want me to shoot you in. And that, that always works for brands and, and that always helps. But go ahead. Yeah. And, and one thing I love about uh, Kevin and that Kevin could can beat this conversation into oblivion. He's really good at it is that and and I actually I don't have this written down but Kevin is so good at this it's it's your job as a photographer to be business friendly and you know your ability to execute on your work as an artist as a creative as a photographer oftentimes has very little to do with your business organization and your business mind. Because when you're talking to companies, you're talking to brands, you're talking to clients, you guys are going to be speaking a singular language. You're not going to be in you know, in, uh, in creative organization all the time, a lot of the times it's going to be like, okay, I've, I've anticipated this logistical problem. I've go, I've, I've sorted out this problem for you. I've anticipated these needs and these wants, and this is how it's organized. And there's, there's a language and there's an approach to working with, with businesses to where they want to know basically where you're shooting, what you're shooting, why you're charging, what the deliverables, deliverables are going to be and what to expect. They basically, they want they want you to be to have an ahead. I can't speak right now. They want you to be ahead on damage control, and they want assurances. And there's a way to deliver that, and it's not using your creative mind. Well, uh, and, um, since we're on the business side of things, and you know we are going off on a side tangent, but it is also related to the core discussion we're having. When you work with a client, whether money is exchanging hands or not whether it's a model who just wants to go build her portfolio out in the streets, whether it's a wedding, whether you're shooting for an apparel brand, whether you're shooting for an entrepreneur who's just going to be promoting their stuff on Instagram, literally anything I, I talk about, it doesn't matter. You can go shoot families out in fields. The, the client needs to understand what they are getting from you and they need to understand what they are not getting from you. And, you know, you should really go out of your way to invest in some sort of a contract app, which we'll talk about in the next episode because uh, we're going to have an episode uh, where we talk about tech that's helped our lives out. But if you do not state what you will not do during a shoot, the client almost always is going to assume that it's part of your job. And I hear photographers bitch all the time about, well, they, they keep assuming that I'm going to do this and this and that and this. And I was like, well, did you tell them like at the very beginning of the conversation uh, when you were all talking to each other, did you tell them that you weren't going to do that? No. Okay. So 
is it the client's job to understand how professional photography works in the business world? The answer is fuck no. Okay. Unless they're like a magazine that, you know, consistently clears copyright samples and consistently works with photographers all the time because that's what magazines do. If you're shooting for some sports apparel brand or, you know, you're shooting someone's wedding, hopefully you only get married once, right? You know, even if you get married two or three times in your life, it's something hopefully you're only doing once every fucking three or four years, hopefully every 10 years, right? So the, the, audacity of you to assume that your client understands what they are and aren't getting, that's your fucking fault. You need to tell them and you know, you need to tell them professionally. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm almost sounding like I'm lecturing cause I fucking am. But when I talk to a client, I don't talk like this. I'm like, Oh yes. Uh, Mr. Mrs. Blah, 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 blah. So what you're getting is you're getting, uh, you know, like for instance, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about a, a wedding client. I'd be like, okay, so uh, what we're talking about is this shot list that we sat down and we executed everything that's on this shot list. That's what I'm going to attempt to get because I put language in my contract saying that there are things that are outside of my control. And sometimes I miss a shot. You know, what if I'm trying to take a picture of the first kiss and some drunk aunt wraps her arms around me like, Hey, how's it going? It's not my fault. I missed the first kiss. Right. And of course, a lot of times uh, when I'm pitching like, Hey, do you want to get a second shooter? They'd be like, ah, oh, I don't know if we have the budget for it. It's like, well, if your drunk aunt puts her arm around my, my, my shoulders and starts trying to kiss me cause she's drunk while the first kiss is happening, a second shooter will uh, give us redundancy and will assure that I am not going to uh, fuck this up uh, and that your wedding is going to be captured only from one angle on a specific shot. Uh, but then, of course, when it comes time to choose your album, because you hired two photographers to shoot your wedding, you now have twice the amount of angles to choose each shot from, which is amazing. And of course, uh, you have better coverage of things like the, you know, the first, you know, the the first kiss, the dances, and all that, the reception. I, I can't think. Uh, I, I, English is my first language. I'm just uh, struggling at it a little bit today, but you need to set the expectations of the client and you have to discuss what you are and are not going to cover. Uh, you know, especially when it comes to deliverables. So when you are, you know, and pe photographers do this all the time, you need to define how many edits you're going to give them. Like when I shot for, when I set up for this apparel brand, I said, here's my half day rate. And then I asked them, how many looks are we shooting? And they're like, oh, we're going to shoot three looks. I'm like, how many edits do you want per look? And they said, well, we think we want, you know, 10 edits per look. I was like, okay, then you want 30 edited shots. Now, when I go in to QuickBooks, which is what I use to put all my numbers together, I put my half day rate in and then I go, okay, I'm going to edit 30 photos. And then, you know, as a photographer, sometimes I don't put it in my contract, but I might give them an extra one or two that I really liked just to get, say I went above and beyond in case they don't like the way an edit turned out. I was like, that's okay because I gave you an alternative, alternative edit that I didn't even charge you for. You'll never have to worry about that bullshit. Um, but the reason why you clearly define what you won't do is because if you don't, the client either ignorantly, naively, or maybe they're just uh, somebody who, who wants to step all over you is going to ask you for more. They're going to, they're going to assume they're going to get more than what the contract states. And if you ever have a dispute, you can always go, well, what contract did you sign? And you go look at the contract and then there's literally no way for them to go, oh, well, I was expecting you to give me this, this, and this. They literally put their fucking signature on there. So anyway, I went off on the business tangent. I know you want to continue to keep the train on the tracks. Uh, I think you wanted to talk about the, uh, the execution of the idea of working with a team. Hey, this is Vanessa Joy, and you're listening to the F11 Photography Podcast.
So what Kevin and I, we just went over a lot of actionable items. We went over a lot of items that you can just write on a list. They're tangible and you can check them off. And it's it's really good to structure your approach to a shoot that way, uh, especially because we all lead lives that are very busy and we have a lot of things pulling us every which way. It's always great to have a list and to kind of get into the habit of making a structured list on how to attack a shoot. Um, from the creative standpoint, from the business standpoint, and from executing it, just so you have all your um, all your eggs lined up in a in a basket. <laughs> I just I think I just like had like three idioms there, but okay. But something less tangible, something less of a checklist item is is shooting with a team and basically holding people accountable. Now this is a skill that you develop over time. And basically as a photographer, it is your job to make sure that everyone knows their roles and how they can perform them best. Now, I know that when you signed up to be a photographer, no one told you that you're going to have to be kind of like a coach or like, you know, the cheerleader as, as well as the coach at the same time. But guess what? You, you kind of are. Um, if you're going to be working with MUAs and stylists and models, it, it's it's your job to kind of... MUA is a makeup artist, by the way. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. I just, I assume everyone knows this lingo, but. And HMUA is a makeup artist who also does hair because it's a hair and makeup artist. I just want to throw that out there. Go ahead. Absolutely. So when you're working with these people, it is kind of your job to be the cement and and the, the captain of the ship and to drive that forward. Uh, you want the, you want, first of all, you want everyone to know what their logistical roles are when they're showing up, how much time they have to do a look, and to make sure that you know how much time they need to put together a look or two looks or three looks. It's your job to budget that in. Not only is it your job to budget it in, it is your job to facilitate and to give direction on what you're looking for. If you're working with a creative director, that's something that maybe you guys are partnered on. That's something you guys can work with. And maybe the correct creative director says, okay, we want to go this direction. And it's your job to suddenly make sure that that is logistically possible with the equipment you have at hand. Yeah. When I work with other, other parts of uh, a project, other creatives, um, one, one piece of advice I always give is do your research on who you want to work with, because especially with makeup artists, uh, makeup artists can make or break a shoot. And if there's one big piece of advice I can give you on a makeup artist is find a makeup artist who understands the assignment because so many times makeup artists think that, oh, well, in order for me to show off how good I am at makeup, I have to overdo the makeup. And they, you know, I'm sorry, they make the fucking model look like a whore standing on a street corner or a clown or whatever. And it's just like, what the fuck is this shit? Where did like, that come from? Hey, I'm <laughs> I'm salty as fuck today. I've, I've been burned by makeup artists before. Or, or, or they'll just go too thick. It's like... You know, like, like, did you not look at the model before we did this shoot? Did you not look at the mood board? You know, I give them a mood board of nothing but very natural looks. The model's portfolio is almost 100% kind of a natural look. Like a model like uh, Malika, who we had in here. She photographs really well with little to no makeup. Why would you, like, pancake that shit on her face, right? And so... You know, we get makeup artists who think that they're supposed to like steal the show. And it's like, no, everybody has a role and everybody who understands their assignment makes the project better. Everybody who doesn't understand the assignment puts the project at risk of being lesser than it could be. And so always do your homework on makeup artists. But a big important reason why you also want to develop a relationship with a makeup artist and be inclusive, which by the way, I'm going to go off on a mini rant here. Um, when I do a shoot, 
it is my set. It is my set. I am responsible for everything that goes on on that set. So in that sense, it is my set. I'm responsible for, for, for people's safety. Ultimately, if the end result is shit, the client is going to come down on me, not the makeup artist, not the hairstylist. It's, it's all going to come down on me. But if you are diplomatic, if you are political and you're smart, you will make sure that the model, the makeup artist, the stylist, the hairstylist, that anybody on set who needs to be there is an equal player and you give them a democratic voice and everything like, uh, you know, I, sometimes I have, I've uh, makeup artists who will uh, suggest a pose to the model. And if I were just a bit egotistical, I might look over at them and go shut the fuck up, but I don't, I let them do it because I want everybody on my sets to feel like they are participating in the outcome and not just that, but if you create somebody who will, uh, who, who feels like that they're comfortable on set and that they can be more confident, then they start looking for things like, Oh, Hey, there's something slightly off on your makeup. So, you know, let me go, let me go fix it real quick. Like they're, they're more in tune with their job. And, uh, something that I do before every shoot is I pull the team aside. If I've never worked with them before, I say, look, we are a democracy. If you see something that you feel like will make the picture better, I do not have an ego bring up the suggestion. If I try it and I don't like it, you won't see it in the final edits, you know? Uh, but don't also don't take over the set. That's another, that's another thing. Don't, don't, don't go beyond your role. But the reason you want to do that is because uh, you have other eyes looking at things that can then open up more bandwidth for you to focus on photography stuff. So if there's a hair out of place, do you really want to, um, do you really want to edit that hair for the next 20 edits? Or do you want your hairstylist to go, Kevin, stop. I need to go fix this hair real quick. And you're like, fuck yeah, go fix the hair because I don't want to edit it 20 times in a row. And so being inclusive with your team is super important to getting the results you want. And then of course you then create advocates who send uh, projects your way in the future, you know, because they feel like that they're part of a team and they don't feel like that you're this egotistical prick, which a lot of photographers are like, this is my set. This is my idea. Everything flows through me, you know, like fuck those dudes, man, those photographers suck balls. And, and to your point, you know, I, I wanted to say that a lot of it, it's, it's just communicate, communicate, communicate. Don't be quiet. I know a lot of people who do these shoots as artists. Um, a lot of us can, can often be quiet, a little bit more reserved, less assertive, and a little bit more go with the flow because we kind of, we kind of just assume that things are going to turn out the way we want to. And I'll just, I'll just say right off the bat, when you're not communicating and you're not not necessarily setting boundaries, but kind of leading the direction, changing the vector as the as the shoot develops in the way that you plan for it to develop. If you're not doing that, that shoot is no longer going to be your shoot. You're going to be editing photos that you don't necessarily recognize as what you planned for. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't create room for experimentation. What I'm saying is you should create an environment, you should be delegating roles and delegating information to your team members so that everyone knows what to expect out of the shoot and what to expect on how the shoot's going to develop. And if you guys decide, hey, like, let's go on a tangent or your your makeup artist or hairstylist decides like, oh, this would be really cool. Absolutely. Go on a creative tangent, experiment. But what I'm saying is you should have a base idea and a base look that you're executing upon that everyone expects to have in their book at the end of the shoot. 
Oh, one final thing I want to talk to you about with uh, makeup artists and working with the team is if you are getting better at your uh, role as a photographer, you do need to learn what good makeup is, what good hair is like, you need to like learn that stuff and good makeup artists. I've actually, uh, you know, I've, I've come across professional makeup artists who go take classes on photography lighting. So they understand how to, uh, improve their skills with makeup to make it look better under photography lights. And that also goes toward, uh, you know, things that you need to learn. I need to learn about things. I've, I've learned about things that I didn't even realize I was supposed to learn about. Like, like, so as you get better as a photographer, you learn how to shoot different skin types and ethnicities and skin colors and all that. But guess what? You also have to learn about how, you know, African-American hair is and skin is, because if you don't understand that, like you hire a makeup artist who has never really worked with black people before. I have seen them fucking destroy a set. It's like the, the model walks out there and her foundation is all ashy looking and gray. And I'm like, Oh fuck. Like thankfully in this situation, I did not hire the makeup artist. Somebody else did, but I was just like, go take all your makeup off. As soon as the, the, the makeup artist left, I was like, take your entire base foundation off and I'm just going to shoot you with your natural skin. Cause this is fucking terrible. So go learn about a little bit about makeup. Like I, I, I don't know a lot, so I'm, I'm not, you know, do as I say, not as I do, but I, I do know my makeup looks like shit. And I will go out of my way to find makeup artists who consistently just deliver on that because makeup artists can make or break a shoot. Hi, this is Ethan Tran, and you're listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. Now, this this is kind of this is a difficult topic to speak on because as a photographer, you get better at risk management as you get more experience. Um, but something right off the bat that you shouldn't be doing is when you plan for a sunny day and it happens to be cloudy, when one of your lights, your strobes decides not to work, you know, when when you have like a flat tire, when when things just happen you you are expected to handle it you know if 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 it's a sunny day and it suddenly becomes cloudy guess what it's it's more than likely you're shooting black and white you know you should accommodate for um for darker shots meaning you should have you know more than one lens or at least be comfortable taking photos in a, in a darker light especially at golden hour when it's cloudy it gets to about three to four stops darker there's not much you can do about that but just enjoy it and just embrace the change of the shoot yeah um and when we're talking about risk management, something that uh, I make sure I do with every shoot is I, I always think about the word redundancy. I bring two cameras to every shoot. Re- I always. I never show up with one camera. I always bring – if it's a shoot, if it's a creative collaboration, I'll bring one camera. But if it's a professional shoot, I am bringing two cameras. And uh, I also make sure I bring spare batteries. Uh, to Brandon's point about you know preparing for weather, if it's a location shoot – uh, and they want to do something at golden hour. I have CTO gels that I put over flash. And I was like, you want to emulate the sun? I'll emulate the sun. I'll pull out my pro photo B10. I'll put a click CTO on there and I will make golden hour happen. And so, you know, you just have to be ready for that kind of stuff. Maybe you have to put sky replacement in because they wanted a sunset and the only day they could do it, it was cloudy. Well, tough shit. You're going to have to put a, you're going to have to put a, a, a sunset in there. And so learning those skills to, uh, overcome, you know, your risk, that's something that you need to do. Uh, you know, going out and purchasing card, uh, cameras that have two card slots. That's something that you should do, especially if you're a wedding photographer. Shit. If you're a wedding photographer, you should have two cameras with two card slots a piece. If you go shoot weddings, because if you get a car- corrupted card, you could get in a lot of trouble. So be super careful about that. 
but yes, always make sure that you're thinking about risk management. Also, um, a lot of times when I can, so a lot of the reasons, one of the reasons I shoot at the same venue over and over, like I, I have a ton of venues that I shoot at here in Austin, but the reason I go to them is because I already know them. And when I am at a venue for the first time, oftentimes I will go visit that venue ahead of time. If it's a, for a really important shoot and I've never been there before and I want to make sure that I'm doing my research and this all should be built into your pricing, by the way. So like when you come up with a half day rate or you come up with, you have like a pre-planning thing, whatever it would call, if it takes you a couple hours to go drive somewhere, uh, check it out and come home. You know, even though you don't have an hourly rate, you know, just add a hundred, two hundred dollars to your 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 half day rate or your day rate for the scouting. Okay, so make sure you're doing that because that scouting gives you knowledge that you can use on the day of the shoot uh, for a wedding. Oh wow, where should I take them? Because because for instance, if you shoot weddings. Like a wedding is a train on a track and the wedding planner only gives you upwards of 30 minutes to do the couple's portraits. So you're like, okay, uh, you know, I'm getting everybody to get prepared for the wedding. And then, you know, everybody's taking their seats and, and, you know, somewhere in between there, I go visit the bride and the groom. If I'm the only shooter and I get pictures of them getting ready, look her looking in the mirror, her putting on something borrowed, you know, like her mom's garter, you know, veil or whatever the fuck. And, then, you know, as soon as the ceremony's over, you do like the group pictures and then you have a very short window to arguably get your best shots for the wedding album. And if you are doing an outdoor wedding or an indoor wedding, you want to go scout the best places to take those portraits ahead of time. So you're, you're taking notes and you know, you're like, okay, cool. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And you keep that shit on your phone. So that way, when you have that 30 minute window, man, you're just rattling shit off. All right, we're going to go over here. We're going to shoot this real quick. All right. I got some flash going. All right. Awesome. Now we're going to move over here and shoot this. You know, and if you don't have an assistant with you, if you don't have a two shooter wedding or an assistant, I mean, that shit is stressful. And then as soon as you're done with a couple's portraits, then you can usually relax a little bit. But point being is that you do want to visit these locations ahead of time. You do want to do the pre-planning and, and that's true not only of weddings, but of most shoots that are location-based. We've never been in a location and money's exchanging hands. You know, if it's a creative collaboration, yeah, you're, you're probably fine because you're in more of a discovery uh, mode with the, with the model and, and the shoot itself. But when people have expectations that you need to meet, you need to do research. You need to, you need to scout. It's, it's, it's interesting because I just, I just met with a couple today and their wedding is about a, a year and two weeks out. And one of the first things we talked about uh, when it comes to like planning the actual shots and execution of the wedding itself is, okay, if we know that the wedding is going to be pretty much a year out, we need to go to the venue at the exact time that we're expecting to take the most choreographed shots. And we need to look at where the sun's going to be at that time. You know, something we discuss is like, okay, uh, if it's if it's this specific day of the year, what's what's the historical average for cloudy versus sunny days? We have a lot of data at our disposal to kind of leverage the probability of of risk. So, you know, we kind of like we kind of talked about uh, the clouds and the sun. So, like, I, I know that it's going to be between it's like forty five percent chance of cloudiness. So it's a fifty fifty. All right. So I have to be prepared. I know for a fact that I have to be prepared to shoot this wedding with with natural light, natural cloudy light, or sunny light. I'm going to go to the venue and I'm going to look at the direction of the sun, where it's going to be at what time, what time we can abscond away from the major ceremony and get personal shots. 
you know, where the sun's going to be coming through the trees, at what level the sun will be, because golden hour might be at 645, but guess what? If at 645, the sun's behind the trees, that's not golden hour anymore. That's, that's a, that's a no sun photo. And I will say that there is another famous photographer. I say another, like I'm a famous photographer. No, there is a famous, uh, very well-known portrait, narrative portrait photographer named David Dubnitsky. And he took a photo in a field with a bunch of amazing flowers. And they had this specific dandelion-like pom-pom that's about the size of a, of a grapefruit. And in one of his shots, um, he had these things scattered all around the field very densely with the model there. And it's just, it's one of his, one of his many amazing shots. And he said that the day before he went out and took that shot, he knew exactly where the model was going to be standing. He went and, and clipped and trimmed some of the plants around where the model was going to be standing because he knew her height. And he also got a bunch of, uh, a bunch of those dandelion-esque things and just started placing them where he knew his frame was going to be. And so you might not be at his level, but all I'm saying is you need to be taking time to sit down and plan out your risk management. Don't forget to do lay flats. And Vanessa Joy just put out a video on lay flats. Oh, boy. Yeah, so go check her video out. Um, speaking of risk management, uh, if you so, – so I had a model once – no, not a model. Well, so I guess she was a model I shot, but I had a client, a prospective client, reach out to me and go, can you shoot my wedding in July? It was the third week of June when she reached out to me. So I was like, oh, July of next year? She's like, no, July like next week. And I was like, no, like I, I passed. So you were just talking about how you're meeting with a client who's getting married over a year from now. That's normal, okay? That's normal because the reason I passed on this other wedding was the risk was too high. I didn't have enough time to plan for it. I was very busy with projects that week. And I knew I just couldn't deliver what they wanted. And ultimately their budget was too low, but I... Sometimes if it's like, hey, I'm not doing anything that day, it's a little less than I would normally charge, but I'm really not doing anything. Sometimes I'll still do it. Uh, it depends usually. Uh, if it's a situation where I know they're not going to go out and spread my pricing to everyone else because I don't want to fuck my market up. Uh, but yeah, I had, I had to say no to it. And it was just like, there's no way I'm going to be able to deliver your expectations with such little time to prepare. Uh, you know, it was like a it was like a venue that was a ways away. Uh, you know, it was like one of those destination type weddings. So I, I would have had no experience at the venue ahead of time. Um, I, there was really no time in my schedule to sit down with the bride and the groom to go over a shot list. And, you know, just like, as I was going through this checklist of things that I normally would do, uh, we couldn't meet a lot of my, uh, requirements that I would want to get out of the way before shooting the wedding. So ultimately I, I said, no, um, but, uh, but yeah, risk management, that's definitely something. Uh, also let's talk about behavior on set because, you know, we've, we've talked in the past, like when you're obviously you, there's etiquette around a model, uh, you know, using proper language, uh, you know, like, especially when referring to body parts, like chest and bottom and stuff like that, instead of tits and ass, you know, like don't, don't be fucking stupid in that way. But also it's about, um, it's about you know, being professional, even when you're pissed off, I've had models say things that have absolutely infuriated me on set before. Uh, and I just kept it. I buried it. I didn't say anything. I will address this later. I have a, I have a job to do just water under the bridge, that shit, save it for later. Uh, but you definitely want to, uh, you know, really watch what you say because man, these models talk. 
They will talk good or bad about you, and they will spread your reputation so fast one way or the other. And I know which I know which side of the fence I want to be on. Yeah, no. To your point, we've we've had a lot of models on, and uh, one of the things we generally ask models is like, you know, what's your bad experience? And um, some of the models have spoken about some of the similar people in the city. Um, we've also spoken to a lot of models off podcasts because we just, you know, there's there is that sort of like who's good to work with, who's bad to work with, like what should we know, that kind of thing. And let me tell you, uh, working in a city like Austin, where it's kind of small, but also not small, uh, word travels fast and your reputation in this city is either black or white. And I guess that kind of goes for just reputation among all things. It's like you're either in a good light where there's no issues, you know, um, or you're in a really, really bad light. So uh, when it comes to your behavior on set, you want to be mindful of these things. You know, it's not like you want to limit yourself. It's more so like you, there is there is a cordiality. There is a language that you speak to Kevin's point about chest and bottom. You don't want to be naming off body parts. You don't want to make it about the models like person. You want to make it about the shape. You want to make it about the presence of the photo. You don't like, it's like when you compliment someone, you don't want to say like, oh, like I like your chest or I like your ear, you know, or like I like... The, the sort of thing you don't want to say like oh you're I like killing it. it you're doing great exactly just keep it keep it and also when Rachel was in here Rachel said you know don't if somebody looks like they're not in a good mood one of the best ways to fuck that up even more is to point out in front of everybody that wow you look like you're not in a very good mood today in front of a bunch of people like now they're embarrassed not only were they in a shitty mood now you've embarrassed the fuck out of them and good luck trying to get a good performance out of them I recognize people are having shitty days all the time when I shoot and I sit there and I try to find a way to turn that smile upside down yeah and a, a lot of the times that can come down wait to just- I said it wrong Turn that frown upside down. Turn that smile upside down. Yeah, that, that was a I don't know. Freudian slip. That was a Freudian <laughs> slip. I've never ever heard one from you. Yeah, me. yeah. Turn that frown upside down, cool cat. How did I fuck that one up? Anyway, yeah, you wanna you wanna turn a negative into a positive. Go ahead. Yeah, and and a lot of a lot of times photographers will hide behind their camera and they they think that being the one taking the photos, and I've been guilty of this as well, because when you're in the room and you're the guy taking the photos, it's easy to hide behind your camera. There is like that level of separation between you as your person and the person you sort of emulate as a photographer. And you don't want, you don't want to get into the habit of just being, Oh, I'm in a creative location. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in a position of not power, but influence. And so I can kind of get away with it because we're in the setting of the shoot. Don't be that guy. You're there. You're there to maintain the tone. You're there to be a professional. You're there to make sure that everyone is comfortable and confident in what they're doing and what you're doing. Hey, this is Malika Gradic, and you're listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. A part of your job as a photographer, your responsibility that you have as a photographer, since it is ultimately your set. Like, like I said, you make everybody feel included, and it's everybody's set. But like I said, the second anything goes wrong, it is your set. So, because it is your set, it is your job to make everybody on that set comfortable and ready to shoot. And one thing I have learned over the years is don't just grab your camera and start shooting, put the camera down, hang out with people, ask them how they're doing. Like, what are you up to? You know, whatever. If you, if you know, you know, whatever, you know that they have a boyfriend, how is your boyfriend? You know, like give them super comfortable. Talk to the makeup artist, you know, Hey, do you have, have I saw that you did this project uh, on Instagram the other day. It looked really awesome. Like, you know, really make your rounds, show everybody on the set that not only are you mutually invested in the income of the, Outcome, 
Income and outcome. Interestingly enough, outcome and income are two words that we don't use together, but in is the opposite of out. You're mutually invested in the outcome. There we go. Man, my English has been all over the fucking place today. But don't only don't only show that you're mutually invested in the outcome of the project. Show that you're actually invested in them as a person. And that's how you build rapport as a team. And when you feel like the whole room is ready, like, okay, makeup artist is locked in, model's locked in, um, stylist is sitting there with the fucking steamer ready to fucking go. Yeah, everybody's locked in. Pick up your camera and start going. And so that's that's my that's my two cents on that. Uh, Kevin, you're absolutely right. And something that you can overlook in that regard is make sure you budget the time to be comfortable in doing that. Cause the last thing you want to do is have rushed small talk. It's never comfortable. Yeah. If you book, so, so I always add an hour, to everything. So, so where I'm out of, uh, this is also about, uh, you know, responsibility as a photographer is if you don't have a studio, your own private studio, and you're having to book time, time is your responsibility. And so if you budget three hours of time for a shoot, you need to make sure you book four hours. Because hair and makeup is going to take an hour. And one of the things I do is during hair and makeup, that's usually when I get the small talk out of the way. You know, I, I, I tend to show up super early. I get my lights set up really fast. I, I, I do all my pre-planning ahead of time of, okay, what, what kind of modifier am I going to use? Like as I'm driving to the studio, I think about the shoot and I'm, you know, I've usually written this down when I do a mood board and we'll talk more about mood boards in our next episode. Cause that's part of a you know, million, million notes and Canva and all that shit. Uh, but when you are planning, like when I'm driving, like I'm thinking, okay, for my key modifier, for my key light, I'm going to use this light. And am I going to probably use a softbox, a beauty dish or a parabolic reflector? Like I'm getting all this shit like hammered out in the car on the way to the shoot. Uh, if I haven't already hammered it out in my notes. So the second I arrive, I am setting up exactly what I need. I get that out of the way super quick while hair and makeup starts. Then I whisk, whisk over to hair and makeup and I, uh, I just start, Hey, how's it going? How's the boyfriend? Oh, Hey, how are you doing? No, oh, you're getting married. You got engaged. That's great. And like, you're just getting super comfortable. And if it's, you know, if it's somebody you've worked with for the first time, you know, Hey, have you, have you been here long? You know, because in Austin, that's a nobody's been here long. Everybody moved here two or three years ago, and so uh, yeah, you just want to make sure you get comfortable, especially if it's the first time that you work with them. Yep. To Kevin's point, you just want to be cool as a cucumber when you plan ahead and when you've got an idea of how everything's going to go, and you've already got that mentally compartmentalized ahead of time. You have so much bandwidth to just handle the minutia and the the non tangibles of the shoot. One other thing I want to talk about, uh, your responsibility as a photographer is to control who is and is not on your set. So uh, in general, I just want the people who are supposed to be there to be there. I want uh, hair, makeup, the model, stylist, and maybe somebody from a modeling agency every now and then will tag along. But usually they don't. They usually give the models autonomy there. They let them do whatever. But you want to make sure that people who don't need to be there aren't there. Now, if you're shooting a minor, the parent needs to be there. Like that's not even negotiable. Make sure the parent's there. But if you know you're shooting a model, a um, uh, you know young man, young woman, they're in their twenties. Their mom probably doesn't need to be there. Sometimes I'll let the boyfriend tag along, especially if I know them. Like there's a couple models whose boyfriends I, I I'm cool with, but there's reasons why you don't want 
them to tag along. And there's a couple, there's two key reasons. Yes. There's the jealous boyfriend thing where the guy might be like super uncomfortable seeing his girlfriend, having pictures taken of her, you know, whatever, which is weird, but it's a thing. Uh, there's a bunch of uncomfortable dudes out there and they have no reason to be on set. But another reason why I don't want the boyfriend there most of the time is because they'll be like, Hey man, did you catch the game? I'm like, yeah, I caught the game. And then we start talking and then I'm no longer doing what I'm supposed to be doing. They distract me. It's like water cooler talk. It's like, no, we're all here for business and you're just the boyfriend. Why the fuck are you here in the first place? Go wait outside every now and then they can hang out. But like I said, in general control who is on your set because you don't want that. Also, uh, sometimes like parents, like, like here, here's, here's kind of the, the litmus test. If somebody models differently, Based on who's in the room, that person who's in the room doesn't need to be in the room. I need the model to be as good at, as good as possible at their job. And if like they, for whatever reason, are kind of like distracted by having their mom in the room, their mom needs to leave the room. And by the way, that you could that could also be fine with minors. Just make sure the mom waits right outside the room, okay? Because a lot of times you think about it, you're shooting a, a model who's 16, 17 years old. That's the age in which young women fight with their moms the most, you know, like, Oh, you, you know, they're always like, Oh, you're wearing this, you're wearing that. You're doing the pose wrong. And, but, and now you have a fucking set that's out of control because you have a mom and a daughter who fucking hate each other. And you know, the agency hired you to shoot their, their shots. And you're like, God damn it. And so you, you now you're, now you're turning into a psychiatrist and you're like motherfucker. So you have to take control of that situation as a photographer. Uh, you need to make sure that you understand the relationships between all those involved. I've talked about it in the past about wedding photographers. Like, hey, are there two people that if I put them in the same picture together, they're going to start punching each other? Like, you need to recognize the relationships. Another thing uh, you might want to keep in mind is when you're booking uh, people for a job, make sure if like a model has had a bad experience with a makeup artist in the past, make sure you take note of, oh, yeah, this model doesn't like this makeup artist, like you need to know that you need to take note of that. There's some stylists out there that like I've worked with in the past. They do really out there shit that some models are just like, that's way too out there. I don't want to wear any of their stuff. Take note of that. Don't ever work with that stylist again with that particular model. But, uh, we're going to call it a episode here in a second. Uh, I think Brandon might have some closing thoughts that he wants to share before I, uh, before I hit the button. Well, before you hit the button, Kevin, I just I thought it was really funny you brought up the the boyfriend talking about sports thing because that's definitely <laughs> I never thought of that as a major issue because I I'm usually very polite and like to appease a lot of people uh, in that regard. Plus, the boyfriend started I think he started bringing up like different film grains and like different like f film profiles and wanted to talk about it. And they like, if anything could get me off course, it's that topic of conversation. And so it's like crack to Brandon. It's like, you want to talk about film grain? Oh my God. Yeah. He's like, he's like, I've been getting into uh, color plus lately and I don't know how I feel about it. And like, I was just like, I, I just like looked my, my neck wrenched over and I was just like, yeah, yeah, you know, I really, yeah, that's a whole conversation. And then we just, we kind of went into it because I did budget for time, but um, in hindsight, definitely didn't need to uh, cover that topic as much as we did. But uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'm going to pass it over to Kevin here. That does it for today's episode. We thank each and every one of you for uh, taking part in this episode and listening to us talk about our process, talk about how we do things, talk about your responsibilities as a photographer. F11pod.com is where you can find us. Uh, our handle 
F11 Pod everywhere. And pretty soon, you'll be looking for F11 Pod on YouTube as we are getting ready to fire up our video. And please leave us a five-star rating on all the podcast platforms as it increases our visibility. But until next time, chase lights and not algorithms. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about this podcast, go to www.f11pod.com.